focus on breaking down risk management problems bit by bit until we find a solution. If you would like to discuss anything you hear on GPP with us, please reach out using the links in the description. Enjoy today's episode. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Hey, Elliot. Hey, Ryan. Thanks hey. for having me in. Yeah, man. Yeah. Good to see you. Uh, it's going to be fun. We uh, have already had some fun on the yeah. show before the show. You missed the pre-show. But, yeah. The pre-show. We always talk about the show before the show because it's always great. That's uh, how we get new guests. We lure them in with the show before the show. Yeah, because nobody ever actually sees the show before the show. That's uh, behind the paywall. You got to... Yeah. Behind the paywall. That doesn't yeah. exist yet. It's right there. Trust me. Building all this content for the paywall. Yeah. Um, so no, I'm, I'm excited about this because you, you know, have been around and in the risk management industry in various different ways. Sure. Not only what you're doing today, yep. but uh, you used to be in the financial services arena. So maybe just give us kind of your background as well as what you're doing today with Strata and kind of how that fits into the health insurance uh, space, and and we'll go from there. Yeah. So. So I uh, am originally from Omaha. I went to school at a small school in Michigan called Hillsdale College for financial management. Uh, And when I graduated, I knew I wanted to work somehow with people. Uh, I come from a family, or my father is a physician, and I loved how he was able to solve problems with people and form, like, really good relationships with them based around, like, um, an integral part of their life. And I think to some extent, your health uh, and your money are some of the two most personal things about you that someone can help you with. And so... Uh, I worked kind of like I interned as an analyst and I thought I was going to go down that route and I ended up working as an advisor out of school. Um, and it was fun. I was, I was telling Alex before the podcast today that my dad and I used to do these health and wealth seminars. He would talk about something related to health and I would talk about something related to money and we would bring people in and we would have a really good time. Um, and I really, I worked for some really great companies here in town. Uh, and, and, you know, right when I graduated school, my father started his concierge practice. Uh, and for those of you who are not familiar with concierge medicine, it's a lot like a country club, uh, where, where you, you, you pay a fee to get in, uh, only so many people can get in. Uh, and it's designed to be somewhat exclusive and it's not exclusive just to be like uppity about it. Uh, but my father's idea behind concierge medicine was to say, you know, a doctor can only care for so many people in a given year. Uh, and we can't keep telling doctors, here's your patient panel of 5,000 people and you need to see 40 patients a day. It's not sustainable. And so around the time I graduated, he launched into, uh, concierge medicine, which is the idea that I'm going to have a smaller patient panel. They're going to pay to have access to this smaller panel. And we're going to see what happens. And in a town like Omaha, it just took off. Um, People were very supportive of it. um, And he grew that really well. And as I was kind of growing in my investment uh, realm, one night we were having a glass of wine and talking about just healthcare and how broken it was and how, you know, he's taking care of pretty successful business owner type people in Omaha. Yet Joe the Plumber is still getting crappy healthcare. And how can we figure out a way for everyday Americans to get better care? And he's like, the most important thing I do with my patients, it's not my degree, it's not my background, it's not I'm smarter than the next doctor, I have more time with them. I can just listen to them. Um, And my patients can come to me anytime they need to and I'm never prohibited by what an insurance company says I can do um, or, or by the clock that says I have another patient in the waiting room and I need to move on to them. And so we got to thinking and we're like, you know, if we could give docs more patient just in everyday, or give docs more time with patients in everyday care, um, we should be able to improve outcomes. How do we do that? And so as we started doing research, we're like, doctors today spend over 50% of their day 
pecking at computers and doing administrative work. What if we eliminated 50% of their that, that time and transitioned it into doctoring? Why are we having doctors with MDs doing all this administrative work? So anyway, so we then launched uh, kind of a, a brainchild of, of our family was to launch Strata. And Strata is a direct primary care company. Uh, the idea behind it is that uh, you, you pay your physician a monthly fee, and under that monthly fee, all your care is covered. You go as often as you want. You never have to worry about using an insurance uh, or a copay or any other office charges that would exist inside of that. Uh, and we started it thinking that, you know, we're going to see how this goes. We're going to launch it in an exam room inside of our concierge practice. Uh, and we had, you know, over the course of the next year, we had a number of businesses approach us saying this would be an awesome benefit for us to offer our uh, our employees. And we can talk about some of the details of how that works and why that works. Uh, but today we have clinics in 12 states serving employers across 12 states. Uh, and, you know, our, our, our mission today is a little different than when we started. When we started, we thought this is a really interesting new approach to care for patients. Uh, and today we look at the healthcare market as uh, as, as really broken, kind of like we did, but Strata's mission is to solve it from the employer level right now. We want to go to, 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 to companies, which on average pay for the majority of the healthcare expenditures outside of Medicare come from employers paying for their employees. And so we're like, if we're going to solve healthcare, we need to go to the employers. Um, and bringing them our approach, which is direct primary care, and talking to them about how it makes way more sense to pay a doctor directly than it does to ask an insurance company to pay them in between. Mm -hmm. uh, so as we grew Strata and, uh, uh, and our business thankfully was successful, uh, I jumped out of investment advising and started to, to, to do this. And there's some funny parallels that I've seen that I've learned that I've been doing in both. But um, I'm really grateful to be in Omaha. I love Omaha. I love working out of here. I'm grateful to work with family. I know that you're in a family yeah. business. And it's not always easy, but nope. I think it's really rewarding uh, to work with family and uh, I love it specifically. I love working with my dad. I think my dad's a brilliant physician, and uh, I love being able to take his concepts and ideas uh, and, for, and ways to better healthcare and be able to run with them. So, uh, I know that that you know one thing that we talk about a lot in in our world is solving it from the employer level. I know that for Ellerbrock Norris, you guys talk about this as well. I'm curious, like, what brought your company into the health realm? Because that's somewhat of a, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not, you guys haven't been doing it forever. So what what caused Ellerbrock Norris to pivot into the healthcare realm? Because I know that our missions kind of align in that area. Yeah, I mean, it was simply opportunity. It was a natural um, segue from the risk management PNC space, you know, into the health insurance side and healthcare yeah. overall. Um, but there's a ton of opportunity, and particularly, I think, and this is where um, I'd like your, your perspective too, but for an advisory approach, there's a ton of opportunity in the healthcare space. Right. Because many brokers, similar to PNC, are still approaching it from that product mentality. There's there's a shift certainly happening with a lot of firms that are shifting more towards uh, quote unquote advisory services. But I think a lot of that is disguised as or, or shiny object syndrome is disguised as an advisory approach. Like we have the next thing, like health joy or whatever. And sure. That gets sold versus how what, what problem does that solve for you? And sure, this tool might be a, a fix, right? Right. Um, and so I, I would that, that's I guess my approach and, and how why and how we kind of transitioned or, or I guess started a new division in the healthcare space. You know, we were doing health insurance, but it's kind of like we got to jump all in if we're going to do this, right? Yeah. And 
but but that's I mean, what's your perspective on that? I mean, you work now. I know a lot with uh, brokers mm-hmm. to try. How does this fit into a plan? And just what's what's been your perspective on working with maybe the more transactional brokers versus the more advisory? Brokers? Yeah. Well, what we found is like, it, if if a if a broker's job is to go out there and find you a solution for your healthcare for your company, and they get paid more based on certain solutions that they bring to the table, I think you should be really suspect at the solutions that they're bringing and at least, uh, I don't know, be, be, be skeptical uh, because it's very different from an advisory approach where you pay me a fee to bring you the best solutions. And if I don't bring you the best solutions, you're going to fire me and hire someone else. And I don't get paid more if I bring you this service or that service. So my job year after year is to wow you and make sure that all the vendors that we're bringing to the table are, are the best of the best. Um, and we found over time that like it still isn't a transitionary or transitionary phase. I, we were saying in the podcast before the podcast that that health insurance brokers today I feel like are kind of like stock brokers in the late '90s, where they're still in this transition. Where I mean, today you don't call a stockbroker to buy a share of Apple that takes a commission. You just you would do it. And most advisors today charge a management fee, and they don't get paid more for different services that they sell you. And we're still in a transition phase, I think, for health insurance advisors to 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 get to that level. But I would certainly encourage employers out there that uh, really, really look into how your benefits advisor is being paid, and you should know how they're being paid. Um, and I think the advisory route, similar to how people manage money, makes the most sense. I think the other thing that is, I've learned over time is that we've been conditioned as Americans to believe that healthcare is expensive. It's confusing, and that if it only goes up by seven percent year over year, that's a really good renewal. Mm-hmm. Don't have control. Yeah, we don't have any control over it, and I think we need to drop that and approach it from a different standpoint. Especially when, like, for many employers, it's the second biggest line item on your budget mm-hmm. after payroll is your health care. Yet we give it to you know, God bless HR people, and they're so busy, but we give it to them as one more thing that they need to manage. When in reality, I think. The, the healthcare spend for employers deserves its own strategic plan where we look at how do we start unbundling these costs and truly understanding where we're spending money. Because if you don't understand where it's going, you're not going to be able to, uh, to, to solve anything. And it, it is amazing to me, though, kind of back to what I said earlier, how, how we've become so apathetic to the healthcare spending of it's expensive and I know and it sucks and we're not going to be able to give out raises this year because healthcare is expensive, rather than going to the root and saying, why is it expensive and how do we solve that? And I think that there are solutions out there. It just takes really, it takes uh, uncomfortable conversations. It takes work. It takes a lot of work. And a lot of times it's easier just to go to everyone and say, hey, everyone, insurance is going up this year, you know? And it's it's not as hard because they look around and we got to share the cost. It's going around everywhere, so why wouldn't it be going around for us? When in reality, I think if you really, really work hard, uh, you can find a solution that would work best for you and your company that would save you a lot of money. Uh, it just it, it, it requires you to completely forget everything you've been told about mm-hmm. health insurance and approach it from a new standpoint. How many of those conversations start right there, but then go? They call up their broker and get shut down. Yeah, I think probably a lot. I you know because it's like they're asking the. They're asking the guy that's making more money year after year by their premiums increasing. Like right, how yeah. If you decrease get paid, their costs. Right. If you get paid more if your premium goes up, why would you want to lower the premium? And that's not to say that health insurance brokers are out there trying to screw people, but it is an adverse incentive. It's just the incentive. way it's been yeah. set up. It yeah. is an adverse incentive. Well, like you can make a ton of money by you know building a book and not working all that hard, frankly. 
you know, it's a it's a lot more work to have to constantly be looking for value and uh, what you're bringing to your clients through an advisory relationship. Yep. It just is. Yep. You know, and, and again, it's it's nothing against those that are operating that broker model because you can make a ton of money. You can, you know, do a lot of the right stuff, but it, it is figuring out how do you, whatever way you're compensated doesn't necessarily matter. It could be a misaligned incentive, but a lot of people are doing the right things in the on the just broker side. Right. But yeah. It's that's why, you know, people have been able to live a long, happy life in the insurance space based on getting paid commission. I, I'll tell you, you know? what, yeah, we we like to say a lot that uh, having health insurance doesn't mean you have health care. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of functionally uninsured, we like to call them people that you've probably read I mean, Ryan, you know better than anyone that how many Americans live with less than a thousand dollars in their savings account. It's frighteningly high, frighteningly high yeah. how many people that is. And so we go to those people that have less than a thousand dollars in their savings account and roll out a five thousand dollar deductible health insurance plan and say, Here you go, here's your benefit. Yeah. But here's an HSA, with a fifteen K uh, max out of pocket. Yeah, and, they can't afford to use it. And so yeah. what happens is we go approach these places, they're like, Oh yeah, we have a health insurance benefit already. But how good is a benefit if people are scared to death to use it because they don't know, they have no clue what it's going to cost and they can't really even afford to use it. And so our approach is like take people that rather than just giving them health insurance, purchase them care because you can actually purchase someone 24-7 physician at their disposable or at their disposal for not that much money a year and we call it direct primary care. Uh, so we tell businesses all the time like look, insurance is important. You need to have insurance. But you can't only roll out insurance for people and expect that they're going to go use it because a lot of people are scared to death to use a high deductible plan. Or use it the wrong way. Or use it yeah. the wrong way. Well, and the other thing that's funny to me on the health insurance side, when you think about like the PNC side, it's designed to be for catastrophic claims, mm -hmm. right? You don't turn your oil change into your insurance carrier, right? Right? Maybe you and I have had this conversation. Yeah, you, it's you true. Don't do that, it's a right? great parallel. You you do it for when you total your car or you've got an injury or whatever, you know, from an auto accident. Yep. Uh, health insurance is the opposite. It's like if I'm going in just to get my annual physical, i got to run it through my insurance company. Yeah. And that shouldn't be that way. You know, right. it should be, yes, we need insurance, but we need insurance for when I get cancer or for when I have a heart attack or break a bone or yep. whatever. Yep. And then how do we handle the day-to-day -day stuff? But I also think, think what's interesting and the statistics are bearing it out is – those people that get care earlier don't have as many big, large claims, right? Right, Because they're getting access to the appropriate care versus somebody that has a high deductible is less likely to go get the MRI that they need or the colonoscopy or whatever that might prevent you know, finding cancer at stage one versus stage four. And I think that's a very important piece of something like DPC or really you know, any of those types of of services that remove barriers for the insured, right? Yeah, we definitely view insurance probably the same way you guys do, which is you should purchase insurance for things that might happen, but you hope they don't. So we insure those things. But like you mentioned, I know I need an oil change every year in my car because I don't drive a Tesla. <laughs> yeah. And so I just pay for it myself. I don't buy insurance for that. Um, but like most Americans need to go see a doctor every year. Yeah. Or they should. They should. Right? Yeah. And especially like if you're chronically ill, you know that you need to go do these certain things. Why would we use insurance to pay for something that we know is going to happen? And so like, and I can take it back to the business again. If I'm a larger business and I know there are these certain, these, there are these certain like healthcare expenditures that my, my employees are going to have to get, why would I let an insurance company dictate what I'm going to pay for that? I think that it makes way more sense to start going out and negotiating directly with physicians and providers and specialists and saying, we're going to start paying you directly. And it's amazing how much um, 
Physicians are excited to take money directly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, and, they and, and rather than rather a ton of costs wrapped up and going to get yeah, it's back to what I said earlier. Fifty percent of their day is spent yeah. doing administrative work to get paid by insurance companies, um, and so we think. We think that that's the way healthcare is trending into the future, whether you believe in single pill or not, and I don't know if any of that's going to go through, but we believe that Americans 20 years from now um, will purchase their day-to-day healthcare or will be purchased for them by an employer, however that works, directly. Um, and day-to-day stuff like um, you know generic medications, um, imaging, even some specialist-level visits are all going to be just compensated directly. There's no need to have a middleman in any of that. Um, and, you know, back to what we talked about a little before, which is when you allow a physician uh, to spend as much time as they need to with a patient because they don't have this massive panel, um, it's amazing how much a primary care physician can handle that they otherwise just wouldn't be able to. Yeah. Because they take that consultative approach versus um, in the, today's insurance setting, they have to see so many people because it's transactional. Mm-hmm. And I think that just as you all see a benefit of taking a consultative approach and an advisory approach of like, I'm here to help you, and there's no like transaction and nickel and diming along the way, we need to get there in healthcare so people, uh, uh, to allow primary care physicians to do what they do best, which is care for people. Uh, and right now, they, for, for the most part, in many systems, they just are cogs in the system that, that see people and have to meet certain referral patterns to, you know, yeah. get their bonus. Yeah. I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on this. So when you were, I mean, it's kind of interesting because no, no human wants to like, take care of their own health care. Maybe there are a few people out there that want to do that, but most people like go see somebody. Sure. Right. Cause you got to sure. like ultimately <laughs> be able to like look at your blood panel or maybe have a picture taken of inside your body. And like, that's really hard to do at home. Yeah. You have an at home MRI or something we don't know about? <laughs> no, I don't. But in the risk management space, I feel like, you know, going back to, uh, you don't buy insurance to change the oil in your car, but all of the risk management and the risk management space falls back on the company. Like they're not the going employer. the employer. Yeah. They're not going out and getting help from risk advisory services anywhere else. They're purchasing the insurance for catastrophic mm-hmm. events. Right. And then the advice stops. Right. It's very true. Like humans at least like, oh shit, my stomach hurts. Let me go to the doctor and they go seek advice. When in the PNC space, they rally internally to figure out everything else from a risk standpoint. And they just go out for the product. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's maybe it's like another reason why we're facing hurdles and shifting to the advisory space. Well, this is, is a because weird, there like, hasn't been this mechanism to force them out to go get help. Right. I have this weird theory that as companies take a more direct approach to purchasing healthcare, I mean, you go to these businesses, like, I don't know anything about healthcare. Like, how am I going to go negotiate MRI? I don't even know what an MRI is. Yeah. How am I going to negotiate it? A weird theory I have coming out of COVID is that we're going to see more chief medical officers inside companies than we've seen in the past moving forward, like especially like fractional chief medical officers that will exist to help companies navigate medical type stuff. Because if the, if the only person you trust with like medical knowledge to navigate medical things is an insurance broker, right. that's, a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. And we realized this coming out of COVID. So like when COVID hit, 
people, a lot of people called their insurance broker and they were probably just as clueless as the rest of us about like, I don't know how to manage this or what to do. And they're trying to figure it out as, as, as the rest of us were. But the people that actually knew what they were talking about were the physicians. Like I remember early on in COVID and my father's talking about antibodies and not IgG antibodies and IgM antibodies. And it was not like he had like done all this research. He just knew it because he's a yeah, physician he and he knows like if this is a coronavirus, these are the type of antibodies it's going to exhibit. So we should test for stuff like this. And it became very apparent that like companies needed advice like that. And I, and so we actually served and some of our physicians served as like quasi chief medical officers for some of these companies to help them navigate. And I think as companies begin to purchase healthcare directly, they're going to have to have someone you know, on their leadership team that understands that stuff to some extent. And I, I thought of that as you were talking about kind of what you said earlier of how, how are companies going to navigate this moving forward? Because otherwise all the risk just comes eventually right back on them. And so yeah. they need to have some understanding and some like guidance as they move through, you know, this, this, yeah, this that's super, environment. super intriguing. Well, it's here. a different way to like pitch, you know, or <clears throat> if, you have somebody in a risk management space that's operating truly holistically to have that same approach. Right. To, you know, you're going to have to have a chief risk officer, outsourcer, a fractional chief risk officer that's going to come in and help you manage all of these pieces. Right. That's completely different than a broker placing a catastrophic product. Exactly. Yeah. So let's take the flip side of this. How much opportunity does the broker have in this industry, in this space, to think about things differently and maybe come up with the idea of, hey, let's figure out a way for you to get medical advice in your organization as in their client's organization. You know, how much opportunity is out there to have that mentality going to their uh, brokers versus the flip side of like, oh, it's doom and gloom for the broker, you know? Whatever. Right. Like, brokers are going to live a long, happy life. Like, eventually it's going to turn. Right. But it's going to take a while. So, you see what I'm saying? How much... I advantage think the, or opportunity is out there for those that want to take this approach. Yeah, I think there's tons of opportunity, especially if your if your approach is I, I'm looking for solutions to like um, trends that we're seeing that you know I, this I, type of yeah. I mean, if you're looking at things like direct primary care, I think you have all kinds of opportunity because a lot of employers have never heard of something like direct primary mm-hmm. care before. Um, if you're approaching it from the standpoint of I'm your advisor and not your broker, um, I think that you're different than a lot of the competition. Um, and uh, frankly, from a lot of the conversations I have with business owners on the direct primary care side, like they're so hungry for innovation because they're sick of coming back to their employees year after year and saying, yep, it's another increase. Yep. It's another increase. And it's, and it's the same old benefit, just a little bit more expensive this year, or it's the same old benefit and it's the same price this year, but really being able to help guide them towards here's what the future could look like. Um, and I know we've all heard stories of like amazing health plans that have put together these awesome benefits and it doesn't have to like, I don't think you're going to get anywhere approaching someone and saying, we're going to completely revamp everything next year because that's an HR nightmare. But I think showing someone that like the future doesn't have to look like this and you can take control of your health spend. Um, And now in every, you can't do it in every scenario. And you know, and there's certain cases where being insured, you know, fully insured, like it's just the right approach. Um, But I think, Carrier shopping year after year between three or four carriers in the Nebraska market. It's not the answer. It's just not the answer. I think yeah. we really have to start thinking outside the box. I heard um, 
you know, the, or I was reading just stats on, I think telemedicine is definitely here to stay. Everyone got to experience it during COVID. I think um, the opportunities to get as much care over the phone is going to be intriguing to a lot of millennials. Uh, and so you'll, you'll start to see the medical space, I think, pivot towards that here uh, soon. But the opportunity for advisors out there uh, to mitigate risk, not using insurance, and instead just using doctors to mitigate the health risk of a population, I think, is is, is huge. Um, and the direct primary care movement is semi-new. I mean, it's yeah, only been around for reality. 10 years-ish, which is not kind of a blip on the spectrum. Um, but it's not going away. I mean, it is, we haven't even talked about this yet, but the economics of direct primary care makes sense for doctors, too. Um, you know, doctors. Yeah, that blew me away when you first walked in. Yeah, that. doctors <laughs> want to make more money, just like we all want to make more money. But on top of that, they also want to take really good care of patients. And, you know, the best way to take care of good patients, like my father said a long time ago, is spend more time with them. If you have a relationship and you spend time with them, you can take really good care of a patient. And the way that they do that is direct primary care. But if you only have you know, um, a, a thousand patients, let's say, and you charge them 70 to 90 to $100 a month per patient, it requires very little overhead, very little administration to do that. And if you do the math on that, you actually, as a physician, can make quite a good living uh, as a direct primary care doc. And uh, the question that we get a lot is like, well, if average doctors will, you know, see 5,000 patients right now, and you're cutting it down to 1,000, where's everyone Where going to go? Oh. We're, I mean, yeah. right? Aren't yeah. you going to run out of physicians? And and our worry is we're already running out of physicians because no primary care physicians because no one wants to go into primary care today. Yeah, it's such a miserable world to be in in an insurance because you spend more time doing insurance work than you do seeing patients. And but when you talk to a resident student about direct primary care, they get excited because now it's like I get to practice medicine all day, mm-hmm. you know, and have relationships with people. And so we think. Direct primary care is the way to get more physicians into primary care. And we need that as a space. Otherwise, we're going to get all our primary care from Walgreens, Walmart, and CVS someday. Yeah. And the economics work for the doctor, right? They do. The doctor makes more money. Yeah. Uh, Which, the, that's what blew me away. And, and, and generally, the patient is paying less money. And if the employer's saving money, the, the people missing out is just the big, tall insurance buildings yeah. you know, that have all these administrative staff adjudicating primary care claims. Yeah. And nice uh, stock returns. <laughs> yeah. Well, it hasn't been much since since no. the Affordable Care Act got passed. It's only uh, like, what, 484% or something yeah, like that? Actually, a little it's higher. not bad. Yeah. It's, oh, it's lower now? Okay. Round up to 1,000. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I'm curious your guys' perspective on this for both of you because you are you have a background in the financial services sure. space. That's what you do. You know, that – this shift happened in that in that industry side of the industry. We've talked about this on the show before, but it was kind of forced, right, in a lot of regards from a legal From the broker to the advisor. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Right. But, you know, there's still obviously brokers that you know, do very well today and, and whatnot. But that – so to say that, you know, this shift is going to happen quickly or overnight is not necessarily the case. However – like, what's your perspective on when that shift happened, how long it kind of, you know, took, and then those that did make the shift, what was their experience, you know, with in the clients? That in are, the money management world? Yeah. Or in the, gosh, I don't know if I have really good insight on that outside of, like, some of the older people that I had worked for that had been through that transition. And, um, and I know that, like, a couple of them in particular – they were kind of like lone wolves out there doing this on yeah. their own. And and the scary part is, and it's probably the same in the health insurance realm, it's like when you're paid a commission and what you make is a little bit in the gray area, 
I don't know, like it avoids that awkward conversation of what am I being compensated? But when you have to go and say, this is what you're going to pay me for my advice, it's just, it's a yeah. different conversation. Oh, yeah. and, um, I, and so I think that that's probably why uh, that transition took a little while is because it's a lot easier just to get paid a, a trailing commission on an old product I sold 20 years ago than to have to year over year over year bring value to yeah. my clients for them to want to continue to pay me. Um, and I think it's made the investment world a lot better. I think it's cleaned up a lot of, totally. of shady players. And, and I think that for... Uh, people that are in the health insurance realm, uh, I'm guessing that there's some, some anxiety about going to an existing client and saying, this is what I'm making commission and I'm not going to do that anymore. And I'm going to go, you know, fee based or whatever the word is, um, consultative. And, you know, I, I, it all like nets out of it, whether they're paying commission to the insurance company, yeah. the, it all nets out, but it is a different feel. And I don't know if you've ever had to do that or you've ever had to do that with a client that like you transition from commission to uh, direct, but I think it makes us all better and it puts everyone on the same side of the table uh, in my well, opinion. And, and brokers are supposed to, health insurance brokers or advisors are supposed to, by law, going to have to do that here. Uh, at the end of the year was passed the... I'm going to forget the name of the of the law, or it was put in force, I should say. To disclose uh, your commissions? Yes. Okay. Oh, sure. all compensation. All compensation. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, there's not just good. commissions yeah. on the health insurance side. Sure, sure. And so I, I do think hopefully that helps with some of that shift because at least even if you're you're collecting a commission, you have to disclose what that commission is. Yeah. And any rebates, any contingencies, overrides, whatever it is. Right. Uh, I don't know if you had any additional kind of thoughts. And I, I just feel like that shift is starting and is well, I think getting what, ready in the health insurance space. As you kind of alluded to, I mean, um, the catalyst for a lot of the change in the financial services world centered around the stock market crashes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it, it took a – people felt it in their pocketbook. And you couldn't just call – a broker and get the advice that you needed and making a stock trade and taking a massive commission. Like right. You needed advice well beyond that. Right. Um, so I, I think about, you know, we talk about different things that could happen in the risk management space that could, you know, happen and negatively affect a ton of people that would force some sort of change. Mm-hmm. When I think about the healthcare space, I think about COVID, you know, I'm like, man, did this, was there any opportunity looking back at COVID to have it disrupt mm. our current healthcare model and move us closer to more objective, holistic, you know, uh, care yeah. than our current model? Well, I would say, if anything, I'm sure a lot of people in the last year got to see the doctor to some extent, whether they had COVID or they felt like they had COVID. And um, when you talk about risk mitigation, one of the best things you can do to mitigate risk on the health side is to go see your doctor yeah. at least once a year and make sure that, you know, as my father likes to say, it's it's not a sick appointment, it's a healthy appointment. It's how healthy am I this year? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can I, what goals can I have to improve my health over the next year? And I think more people need to, to do that because when you look at a population and you say, okay, how can we mitigate risk? Or how can we help you manage the risk of this population from a health standpoint? I would say one of the best things to do is get people to go see their doc. And I think, unfortunately, the easy button that a lot of times uh, companies will press is like, we're going to have this new wellness strategy, uh, yeah. right? Uh, where everyone's going to be get points or like a gas gift card. $5 to go to the gym. To go, yeah, yeah. yeah, to go do these certain things. And I think that there's a difference between 
uh, a you know a, 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 a nurse coordinator calling you on the phone to remind you to take your hypertension medications, and your primary care doc sitting you down and saying, "Dude, you're unhealthy. Hmm. You need to get better, and you're better than this." And there's just we've seen it. Um, we think that primary care doctors should be the ones that are managing the, 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 the that that day to day risk in a person's life and not the care coordinators out there that are kind of managing it for them right now. And the reason that those companies or those, those services exist because doctors don't have time to do it right now. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, I think that when you talk about like, like, gosh, how like the risk mitigation in health, it kind of all falls back on primary care a lot because uh, primary care uh, and preventative type healthcare is the way that you keep from, from having all these high claims that just blow up a health plan in a given year. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing to me. It's like, <clears throat> it's an oxymoron to business owners when you first talk about that because they're like, well, why would I want to send my employees to the doctor more? Like, that's going to be so expensive. Right. And it's like, ah, it's the reverse or, or the deductible conversation because they've been so beat down that, well, it's going to be a 12% increase this year unless you raise the deductible by $1,000 so that you're sharing in the risk there, Mr. Right. Business Owner. Right. If you right. do that, it'll only be a 7% right. percent increase. And it's right. like, that... That deductible increase means zero to the insurance company. Like, it does not matter because most of the claims are generated by like 5% of the population. Right. And so it, it has no, no impact. It's just a shell game, right? They just want to turn your attention to the deductible. But in reality, you want those deductibles as low as possible if you want your people to get access to healthcare. Mm -hmm. Or the flip side of that is just get something like direct primary care where you're just paying for that care mm -hmm. for that employee mm -hmm. so that they are getting access to that physician on a regular basis. And then when things that might be a bigger issue come up, they're texting essentially their doctor and saying, hey, my shoulder hurts. Yep. Like, what do I do? Otherwise, they're going to let it sit for six months and now they got to get shoulder surgery. You know, when it could have just been PT or something. Right. Yeah. Ryan would appreciate this, but we like to say primary care is an investment. Everything else is an expense after that. And so if we approach a business and they're like, well, no one goes to the doctor here. And so why would we spend money on primary care? And it's like, well, I don't know. Like if you're not investing in your health plan, it's not going to look very good in the near future. And so uh, we, look at, we look at the primary care component of a health insurance overall spend or a health care overall spend different than the rest. Because the rest kind of like there's only so much you can do when it comes to some of these high claim or just yeah. sicknesses that people will develop. But if you're not doing anything to invest in the primary care, then how do you expect to get good results on the back end? I read something the other day on LinkedIn, and it said, uh, you know, when you have your health, everyone wants everything else. Mm. And when you don't have your health, you only want one thing. Yep. So true. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's like, huh, okay, got it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and it's probably similar to investing, where they always say, like, you know, the, the earlier you start, right, yeah. and uh, the, the better off you'll be. You get some compounding health interest going on in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, you've heard the whole, like, penny doubling a day for a month, and it turns into, like, yeah. I don't know, $5 million or something like that. <laughs> and it's funny because it's like, it's the old riddle of I'll give you a million dollars today or a penny, and I'll double it every day for 30 days, which one do you want? Most people would take the million, when yeah. in reality, the penny's the better one. But it sucks because the first seven days you're doing that, you're like, what the heck am I doing? It's like I got two pennies and I got four pennies and I got eight pennies. Yeah. I'm a <laughs> schmuck. Like I'm a, two weeks yeah. into this, I got like 10 bucks. Yeah. Um, 
but all the benefits are on the back end, right? It's on the, it's on like day 28, 29, 30 on that thing that it really pays off. And I think that there's like some parallels there to healthcare that like if you put in uh, the daily work or the annual work even of just going and getting your blood drawn with your primary care physician, there's so many compound benefits to that that you just don't understand sometimes unless you're doing them on a regular basis. Uh, and we shouldn't be in a situation where anyone has any barriers between themselves and their primary care physician. And I think it's good that like, for example, the ACA says that your annual exam with your primary care physician is covered under an ACA plan. I think that's good. But most people go and it's a five minute visit. And they're like, your your cholesterol is high. We Mm -hmm. want you to come back in a month and we're going to do that again. We want you to come back next quarter and we're going to do this again. And we'll talk about, we'll recheck your levels, but that visit's not covered. Mm-hmm. The blood work's not covered in yeah. that visit, right? And then it's do you think they go? Most yeah. people just don't because well, they're scared the of the advice cost. between that visit, the first visit and the second visit? Oh, right. and, there, and there's just so much lack of trust right now in the medical community. Like I saw on, on a, an example, of, I think it was on a LinkedIn deal too, that was like somebody went in to have a covered procedure, got it all pre-opt or whatever, and they like a scope in their knee or something. They got in and they saw something else, so they had to take a – uh, diagnostic exam or whatever, and the diagnostic exam that led to this and that was like seven thousand dollars, not covered. Yeah, the, they pre-op, and it's like, well, hang on, I'm asleep on the table, and you're <laughs> doing whatever you're doing to me, and it's going to cost me seven grand, and I got no say in it. And it's like, it's probably the right thing, sure, but I had no opportunity to you know shop that or to make a decision whether or not I wanted to do that or right. whatever. And all of a sudden, now I'm out seven grand, right? You know, and it's just like there's there's just so much mistrust in a lot of that stuff that that, that stuff happens right. and that stuff goes on. And, um, I, I think that just having somebody that's an advocate for you in the healthcare arena is so important, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like having a doctor in the family, we say. Yeah. If you don't have a doctor in the family, you wouldn't you, know what that's like. Not. I just I just know what it's like. But it is. It's if, if you have someone in your corner that you can call and bounce ideas off of and make sure that you're not crazy uh, and, 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 and don't trust Dr. Google with every possible mm-hmm. medical thing that comes up, um, it's amazing how much can just be mitigated by just that alone. Yeah. Um, and you've probably seen that on the health plan side where they have second opinion type services that you can buy for surgeries and things sure. like that. And we think that there, there's all kinds of second opinions you need day in and day out for healthcare. And most of the stuff is just really tiny. Do I need stitches or do I not need stitches? Should yeah. I take this antibiotic for three weeks or two weeks or what should I be doing? Because I forgot what you told me in the exam room. Mm-hmm. Um, those types of things are just so like those little things that pay off in the long term that we think um, the ability for us to delete any barriers or red tape that exists between those little conversations between primary care doctors and patients, we should get rid of all those barriers so that they can happen naturally. I think that's that is half the battle. I mean, it, it is just a crappy experience to walk in to go see a primary oh, care physician. Yeah. Like, we're, I think you were at an office visit last week, and uh, we were talking about them constantly running behind. It's the only profession in the world where it's completely acceptable to sit in a waiting room for 30, 45 minutes after your scheduled appointment and still be happy to walk in that room. Yeah. And then get your five minutes and then you're back up. Yeah. Because they're running behind. And it's like, there's got to be a better way. Right. So to be able to fire up your cell phone and shoot a text. Yeah. Most people that are sitting in the waiting room don't need to be there for an in-person visit. It's just historically, especially pre-COVID, the only way that a doctor could bill was if your 
Yeah. But was in the seat. My dad likes to call it something yeah. else, but yeah. but in seat medicine we'll call it. Yeah. And that, that's what it was. It was all these people here in the waiting room are here for prescription refills and they're here for yeah. second opinions on something. And in reality, it's like we can handle all of this. But the reason that they're there and they're not using their works telehealth thing that they pay for is because they trust that doctor in that exam room. Even if they only get that doctor for five minutes, they trust that person. Yeah. And we know, again, like back to our principle, relationship with a primary care physician is one of the most powerful things in healthcare. Yeah. And so that's where like our approach to telemedicine is different because the person on the other end of the phone is your primary care physician and it's not just some random doctor. Um, I think COVID helped that a little bit when you talk about how did COVID disrupt things. Um, it forced regular old doctor's offices that didn't have telehealth to all of a sudden find a telehealth solution. Yeah. And it also kind of like changed insurance billing laws that allowed them to bill for it. And I think probably will forever. There you go. Um, yeah. And so what we're finding, I actually ran into this a little while back where they're saying that the larger players in the telehealth industry may have a, a tough time like meeting the same growth trajectory that they were before. Because people are like, why would I use Teladoc when my primary care local doc has this like app that I can use to call them? Yeah. And like, yes, it gets billed through my insurance and all that, but I'd rather talk to him or her totally. than I would to some other some random person. Some random person. And so, it, it, yeah, COVID forced every day. Which is a lottery, let's be honest, on a little. On oh, the yeah. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. And you got to wait for two hours. Yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. Well, it, on hold. It only cost me 10 bucks. Hang up and book <laughs> another appointment. See if I can hit the lotto again. <laughs> That's so true. Awesome, dude. Well, uh, anything that we didn't cover that you kind of wanted to hit on and go over that's on your mind? Holy shit. You're going to give him that? Just I don't – yeah. Uh, I got to list about 10 <laughs> Opening it up. Because you I, never know where it's going to go with Bezer. I think we covered – I think we covered a lot. I, 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 I appreciate the opportunity to just talk about what we do. I think to your point earlier, there's tons of opportunity to disrupt healthcare. Um and I think disruption is a really good thing when I say that. I think yeah. I think this is an industry that absolutely needs to be cracked open and looked at from 10 different angles. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, we're kind of all preaching the same language to employers that if you're just the same status quo year after year, you really, really need to take a tough look at your health expenditures because they don't have to be as high as they are, likely. Yeah. Well, and I think the, the beauty of what you guys are doing too is it shows that you know, I don't think any of us believe government government intervention right. in healthcare is probably the best approach right. at this point. But it does show that you know entrepreneurs, with what America's based on, is what can solve this, right? I mean, you're seeing it in a lot of aspects of healthcare, mm -hmm. direct primary care being one, but on the prescription side, you're seeing a ton of it. Mm -hmm. You know, where people are saying, "Look, there's a better way. We think we can solve this, mm -hmm. and where we can solve a problem, there's dollars, there's mm -hmm. value." Yep. And I think you're going to see more of that, which is what we all want. And what if we approach it from an advisory perspective, we're going to be able to bring a ton of value to our clients. Even if you just come in and say, hey, have you ever heard of direct primary care? I heard this guy talk about it on a podcast. I think it might be kind of cool. <laughs> you're going to bring value to, your, to a couple clients, sure, you know? Sure. Somebody's going to go, no, but I'll Google it, you know? <laughs> and so. Right. Um, all right, dude. Well, thanks for coming in. Yeah, dude. Good. Keep doing what you're doing. It's awesome. I appreciate the opportunity, guys. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me on. Yep. See ya. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Getting Past the Premium. We are excited to continue breaking down barriers and finding solutions together. If you would like to reach out regarding anything you heard in today's episode, find links and contact info in the description. Until next time, have a great day and let's continue getting past the premium.